Welcome to Sports, Clips, and Politics with your host, Ben Husson, and me, Sean Hannon. Welcome to episode 74 of Sports, Clicks, and Politics. I am Sean Hannon, joined as always by the handsome Ben Husong. Thank God the show's mostly on radio, so that might be true. <laughs> and thank you all for joining us uh, again, episode 74, 74 episodes. That seems like a lot. I agree. We've had a lot to cover over those 74 episodes. It's weird. I, I mean, not what. weird. It's optimal timing because we have never once struggled for discussion topics that we wanted to no, uh, go no, over. There's never been a, a dearth of, uh, or a, a lack of uh, uh, things to discuss amongst the people. So the people... Play, please take this time to uh, do your obligatory duty of liking and sharing this video. We need you to uh, spread the word to uh, help us become uh, Joe Rogan rich. I mean, let's let's settle for like maybe Jimmy Dore rich. Okay, well, stepping stones. Exactly. We're 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 a large stepping stone away from even Jimmy Dore. I'm, so I'm well aware. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, be sure to subscribe to the channel if you're following us uh, on the YouTube's and. Uh, Hit that notification bell, and you'll get notified when we got new content. And if you're listening to the audio version, please uh, leave a rate and review, a five-star if you like us. And again, to spread that word. So, um, Mr. Husong, how was your weekend? Oh, it was wonderful. Okay. Well, Busy. fill us in. Had a baptism for my nephew okay. at St. Pat's Church downtown, which is very nice. Congratulations to Mason. Uh, and then we had our Thanksgiving celebration. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Okay. Fake Thanksgiving. We combined them. We've been doing this for a few years now. Uh, so we had a bunch of families and friends over for a Thanksgiving-style dinner. Cooked two 22-pound turkeys. What's that one? You're like 250? What's that? For the turkeys? No, we got them early. My wife's, oh, okay. my wife's just a <laughs> champ. She always finds this stuff. So she got the two turkeys. We cooked about 20 pounds of mashed potatoes. Uh, we had about 40 people over to the house, all things considered, for, for the meal. Uh, and it was a wonderful time. And a great time to catch up with uh, some friends and some family, and uh, we had a blast. That sounds, f- yeah, that's great. It's my favorite holiday of the year. My second favorite is Thanksgiving. Well, you packed those really close together, that's coincidentally. A, November's a good month. I got my wife's birthday, Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving all combined in one month. Wow. It's a good day. It's a good yeah. month. How about you? How was your weekend? Uh, no events this weekend, so I basically had a week off. So Wow. Yeah, I did what my favorite activity is, and usually nothing. So I did a lot of that. Um but yeah, I don't think What's I had it. Like, I don't think. Yeah, you. I mean, we're on the opposite end of the spectrum for there, in a lot of ways. Um, I would agree. I think you're. Uh, I think you're missing out. <laughs> I think you do too much. It's entirely possible. I did. Uh, I also finished constructing a gazebo in my backyard towards the end of last week. So now I've got to spread out the stone underneath it, get it all leveled off, and then put my fire pit in. So I I can't be bored. Like I, I, nothing good happens, and well, I'm not I just bored. Find more stuff to do. I can't even do when I'm doing nothing. I'm not bored. I'm just thinking. Usually, I see. I and pondering. I, I just stay active at all times. Of like, all right, now let's do this. No, you're a better man than I. I disagree with that assessment. I have an affliction, and I can't help you myself. Have a sickness. You're saying? To, yeah, I don't know if I want to jump busy. all the way to sickness, but there's like a mental block that will not allow me to just sit down and be like, all right, I'm going to do nothing for an hour. Like saying that out loud makes me uneasy inside. Like I don't want to do nothing for an hour. No, no, I don't want to do nothing. It's not good. Okay. It's not healthy. 
I mean, I've tried to rub off on you. I mean, I, there's there's literally not a person on the planet who wants to do nothing more than I do. So <laughs> if if I can't do it, nobody can. There you go. Uh, your bills, part of your weekend. Hey, sorry, off the snide, hey, hey, hey. off the snide a little bit. They're uh, uh, I, I would call that up. one leaving no doubt. Yes, right. Uh, I had Cole Beasley, so he sucks. Just for the record, tough, so tough I've, day. I'm I cannot pick the bill correctly. No, that was, I mean, Stefan Diggs was your guy, and I think, who was, uh, Jay Feely, was he the one commenting, commentating on a game where he said, he's still around? There no. is not one person on the Jets who can guard Stefan Diggs. They they just don't have a single player that's going to be able to stop him. I mean, and fairly, he was I mean, right. to be fair, most people don't, but. That's, I mean, agree. I mean, he's great, so, yeah. I mean. It was fun watching them when they had the one where he caught it but went out of bounds, and the next play, they just came right back at him again, like, you ain't stopping him twice. Who are you kidding? And both times they had him one-on-one. That poor brand-new cornerback that got brought in. Like, all right, good luck against Stephon Diggs. You're you're not good enough to start for us. But we're going to put you one-on-one against Stephon Diggs in the red zone. Well, baptism by fire, they say, right? I mean, that was just mean. Just setting him up for the slaughter. I guess. But other than that, it was a great weekend for the Bills. Uh, I think we've learned that Mike White may not be quite the truth and the the great white hope that we thought he was. See what I did with the play on Wednesday? Yeah. You're welcome. Um, and instead is not going to be any type of savior for this dumpster fire of a team this year, and they are still just as bad as we had thought they were. They are not on the clock, though. The Lions still remain on the clock at 0-8-1. Ah, who'd they tie? <laughs> the mighty Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, so just for all of you at home, this is this is the type of person Sean is. At the end of the <laughs> Steelers-Lions game over the weekend, I get a text message from Sean. And I and I had to laugh because all it said was, I can't believe your team lost to the team that tied the Lions. Factually correct. That's what he turned it into. <laughs> well. I couldn't win, argue. You wins, were right. Wins and losses in the NFL only matter to other people, so I just tried to make sure that I know when they matter. So, But, yeah, the Steelers tied the Lions, the winless Lions. They remain winless, but they're still winless and a tie now. Um, 16-16. Was it the game as riveting as it appeared from the outside? Uh, it was, I mean, so the Steelers literally had a chance to win the game with like five seconds left. Did you, did you watch any of this game? No. So the, the, you know, in overtime, <clears throat> ineptitude in overtime, both these teams are terrible. Now, mind you, for back for backstory, uh, Mason Rudolph was the starting quarterback as uh, Ben Roethlisberger had to enter the uh, quarantine rules uh friday he was announced that he could not he was not going to participate so there was no warm-up there was no uh week of preparation for mason rudolph it was uh hey go go win us the game against the winless lions he couldn't do it but uh he's not had a uh successful history i mean he's had some like like no nothing of note to kind of hang your head i'm like hey there's some future in this guy so um anyway so the mason rudolph led steelers i'm gonna guess under a minute they get the ball back in overtime uh, the the rookie uh, tight, Frermuth, I think is his uh, the, the, tight the tight end's last yeah. name. He catches up, so they they get a they get a big play. They're like they were like within like maybe like a forty five fifty yard field goal range, right? And so they have there's like fifteen seconds left. They run one more play, complete pass to Frermuth. He's trying to get out of bounds. He fumbles, literally on the on the sideline. The Lions recover it as time runs out. <laughs> Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So they could have had a chance to kick a field goal to win, but oh, here we are. That's tied. even funnier yeah. now. So, any other uh, NFL takes uh, over the weekend, good or bad? Um, 
Did you watch any other games other than the yeah, Bills? Yeah, I watched some other football. Um, but the uh, the Chiefs are seem to be getting things right. Okay. Uh, I still think there's some I mean, weaknesses. the Steelers still have a better winning percentage than the Chiefs, just for the record. I mean, I've, listen, I would rather play the Steelers than the Chiefs come playoffs. How's that? Okay. That's my opinion. I mean, um, if you're the Bills, you're saying? Yes. Or if I'm any team, I'd rather. Like, I just, I would fear the Chiefs more than the Steelers. Not okay. to say the Steelers aren't good, but they do oh, just not tie good. the Lions. Uh, other than that, let me think for a minute. They're, they're literally Falcons. the only team, I think they're the only team with above 500 record who have given up more points than they've scored. But go ahead, the Steelers, that is. Mike go ahead. Tomlin's like a wizard. How does he do this? <laughs> Uh, He's never been below eight and eight ever. I know that's amazing. This might be the year, though. It's not. You're, and they got five. He, they could be five, eight, eight, seven, and one now. They could be. That would still count. <laughs> that tie is going to come in handy. Um, no, I think that the Lions are still bad. The they are the tops are still tops. I mean, it's. I still am trying to figure out how Miami managed to beat the Ravens, and I'm confused, but not not shocked. I think Miami is a much better team than their record indicates. Oh, especially um, after they beat the Bills last week. But, yeah, go ahead. After they what? After they beat the Bills. They didn't beat the Bills. Didn't they beat the Bills? No. What was the, oh, that was Jacksonville. That Jacksonville beat the Bills. Sorry. Thank the you. Team. Uh, no, the Bills The Bills won a close game against Miami by oh, okay. 15 points. That was And covered the spread on a last-minute uh, yeah, touchdown. Right. I remember that week. Right. So, anyway, so the Dolphins, I've, I do think, are a better team than, than their record would indicate. But they did beat the Ravens, which I was surprised by. The Falcons are still the Falcons. God bless them. Um, I think the Colts are not as good as their record indicates. I mean, I shouldn't I say this, the, but... Yeah, the Colts looked all right. I watched a little bit of that Colts, uh, where they play, uh, Jacksonville game, right? Yeah. I mean, Jacksonville, you know, they're hot. <clears throat> Coming off a biggest victory of... 9-6. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, listen, I, I wouldn't say Jacksonville looked good, but I watched enough of that game to think that eh, there's some good players out there like there's like i mean listen i think uh the uh kid taylor for the colts is really good the oh, he's back. Nice. and Pittman's probably a good player uh you know i went through more shovel passes and sidewards and left hand he tried the left-handed pass again and he did like a 12 yard like one of these like we just shoveled his like so he's still got that that in there <laughs> so there's a downside there I love it yeah there's still a downside there but I love uh, that he keeps trying that nonsense yeah, it's hysterical they, I don't know I, I don't think th- like I think they could be a playoff team the Colts but go yeah, ahead I mean but mostly because of their division they could be a playoff yeah, maybe. team they're playing, I, mean, I think the AFC is weak so I I mean it's weaker than the NFC for, for sure, sure for sure I don't think there's any argument well that's that. really the only thing that I'm comparing it to actually. How about the when Washington? I say the AFC is weak there's really only one comparison it's actually a fair point yeah. in general terms but go ahead I don't know that it's the AFC is weak or so much as the NFC is just the top of the NFC is nuts with how much talent they have. Does the salary cap not apply to the Rams? How do they keep finding money to pay all these people? Well, because they're probably just signing these. There's veteran minimum. Right. Like, these things don't. They, there's some weird nuances to how they don't affect the salary cap. It's crazy. Like the, Von Miller's Because they get now, like a very Jay. cheap. They'll get a cheap salary like knock or hit on their cap this year. And then they it goes to next year. And then they can just. Cut them and then it goes away. So I got you. Um, Want to quickly do uh, bottom five, top five? Yeah. Not much changing with me other than uh, I'm going to stick with my boy Aaron Rodgers and the Packers as number one. Did the Bills work their way back no. into the top five? No. Oof. No, because Tough the Titans. Break. The Titans are they six in a row, man. They look good. But anyway, I still want to put the Cardinals two mm-hmm. because, again, Colt McCoy – was their quarterback this week? That hurts. Uh, not good football player. Um, 
But I, it's them or the Titans. So there was my top three for sure. And then I'm rounding out with the, the, the Rams and the Cowboys. It's pretty clear to me. I feel like, you know, it's easy to go by record, which this does. The only discussion are the Bills and, you know, the, the, the uh, Buccaneers have uh, kind of fallen a little bit out of, uh, or they're at least on a, on, a, on a slide here. They got the Hughesong jinx or something. So I mean, you lose one game to a team with no name, and all of a sudden everybody just loses their mind. Yeah, I don't know. they lost two in a row here. So yeah, that was ugly. And coming off a of bye week, you never want to lose to the Washington football team. I mean, I still think Heineke. they, again, I still think they can make the playoffs. But again, they're, they're competing in the NFC. So six and three is not as strong as six and three in the AFC. That's all. I agree. Uh, I'm still not sold on the Dallas Cowboys. I think the defense is just, it's a liability. I mean, I know this week went well, but they were playing the Falcons. I mean, let's let's just call that one. And the Falcons without Calvin Ridley. So I'm not a believer in the Falcons. And I do think um, they're going to Yeah, struggle. but they're going to be in the playoffs. Because who else is going to yeah, win their division? They're going to be in the playoffs. I'm not arguing that. I'm just talking about overall talent and depth and how would I expect them to compare on a neutral field. I don't think they're a top five team. Not in the NFL. There's a lot of teams I would put in ahead of the Cowboys. And that could just I mean, they're be my fifth. that I, I mean, dislike the Cowboys. Well, I dislike the Cowboys, too. But it's really, to me, it's only three discussions, and maybe it's only two, but it's the Ravens, Bills, and Buccaneers. Those are the only three teams that I think you could, I mean, I guess you. I'm, sounds like you can make the argument that you think the Chiefs are better than the Cowboys. But I do. I Yeah, see, like the Chiefs' defense is way worse than the Cowboys' defense. Yeah, but the Chiefs' offense is better than the Cowboys' offense. Uh, not this year. I disagree. I mean, not as far as if you're just going by raw data points scored. I Cowboy, get Cowboys are at the top. I mean, they're second, I think. So I'm not arguing. Um, we'll see. Obviously, Time a big week against a terrible team. So, you know, a little bit distorted. And But we are a week 10 here. I mean, so, like, I mean, we have a big enough sample size. Where we start the teams are who they are. We thought they were kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, how about you t- finish up the, uh, the NFL talk with, uh, I don't know, the worst teams in the league? All right. So, top or the bottom five, number five is I have a tie between the Falcons and the Panthers. And I know, I know the Panthers won. I don't care. They, they, this team is just a... Cam Newton. Cam Newton is back, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, the Panthers are 5-5. Five and five. So you put them as the worst team in the league, and you've got the 0-8-1 Lions, the 1-8 Texans, the 2-7 and seven Jets, the 2-7 and seven Jaguars, the 3-7 and seven Dolphins, and the 3-7 and seven, uh, or 3-6, and six, uh, I was going to say Redskins, but football teams and the footballs and the Seahawks. I all mean, three wins, and the Bears, and the Giants, and the 49ers. All three wins. They're all, all terrible teams. Maybe the Panthers is an overreaction, but yes, I think they're garbage. <laughs> but I mean, I think Cam Newton is garbage. So. I think if Cam Newton is your answer, then you're asking the yeah, wrong question. No, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's that's my take. Yeah, so that's right. that's kind of why I have them there. And listen, a lot of those teams you mentioned I have in my bottom five. Yeah, like, they're I mean, coming up. They, they are worse than the... Than the Panthers. The Seahawks are not worse than the no, Panthers. I, I don't care so. about the record. Uh, the Bears is probably an apt comparison for where I think the Panthers are. They're, that's pretty close. Um, some of the other teams you mentioned with three wins. I do think the Washington football team is better than the Carolina I Panthers. Too. I do too. Uh, I do think, who's the other one you said that was? I felt was odd. The Dolphins, Dolphins, I do think, are better than the Carolina Panthers. The Giants. The Giants, I think, are better than the Carolina Panthers. Mm, yeah, I don't know about that. The uh, Giants have been playing okay football lately. We got to buy this week, but I think they're they're on the they're on the right direction, and I think Carolina is circling the drain. Like I, they're going to have some wins, but I, I just think when the season's over, they're going to end up being a, a not, train wreck. You're not a fan of XFL star Paul Walker? I mean, I, who is not a fan of XFL? I mean, star it was great when you Paul got to play Walker. Paul Walker and DraftKings. I have no idea who that is. By the way, he was just he dominated the XFL as one does. Yeah. Um, all right. So the next one is the Jaguars. Just worse than them is the Jets. 
Now, that, admittedly, that was the first Jets game I've watched all year. I, I was not impressed, to say the least. Uh, the next worst is the Texans, and, of course, the Lions retain their title as the worst team in the NFL this year. No disrespect to Jared Goff. Well, some. All right, yeah. I mean, listen, they they don't have a win, so it's hard to argue. They got a half of one. Kind of. Who'd they get that against again? The team that lost it, that beat your team, so... <laughs> All right, let's talk uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> sure. Let's check a Bitcoin price real quick. 64340 <laughs> Uh Well above, uh, I guess, the old all-time. Like We had this recent uh, high of uh, 69000 Elon Musk is happy about 69000 all-time high. Elon Musk is a child. I know. And it's hysterical watching I it. I know. People love Elon. He's like a mascot for the country. He's like a mascot for the counterculture of the country. Yeah, he's probably just a deep state operative in general. So I mean, he's probably just a sociopath that is having the time of his freaking life just tweaking people on social media. Yeah, I wish I could add that just for a day. Just What's that? Tweak everybody that I wanted on social media. I mean, you do a pretty fair job. Yeah, but they don't pay attention to me. So, like, they I all disagree. pay attention to Elon. That's all I'm saying. Um, but, yeah, so let's talk about Bitcoin. Uh you know, bull market, I think nobody's arguing the crypto and uh, most cryptos are kind of moving at near or uh, upwards of all-time highs, or at least Ethereum and Bitcoin, the two big boys, uh, with a lot of altcoins still uh, moving up. But I want to touch on a story that I saw out of the city of Miami. Okay. The, uh, I don't know if, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the Bitcoin capital of the USA is a fitting uh, uh, moniker, but I think it might be. So Francis Suarez who is a very Bitcoin-friendly politician, the mayor of Miami City, uh, known, again, for his friendly crypto stance, announced recently that Miami will become the first city in the world to give its citizens a Bitcoin dividend. Miamians will be able to get Bitcoin rewards from the staking of the city's cryptocurrency. Now, I wish I knew more about this staking process of crypto because I feel like it's something that uh, is going to become more and more uh mainstream the staking of crypto um but anyway so the city city has staked crypto uh bitcoin and it's going to give a dividend in bitcoin to any miami citizen who just goes through the uh downloading of the uh the crypto wallet so um i'm not sure if this is a libertarian UBI merger of things or weird. What do you get the idea of the city giving dividends in general? And then what do these idea of uh, Bitcoin kind of being the, uh, the, the uh, catalyst for that happening? Like, what do you think about the Miami giving dividends to its citizens just as a general principle? Like, um, what if they had stock holdings and they did the same kind of thing? Like, I don't know. Maybe they do. I don't know. Like what, what's your, I'm just thinking about the grand idea of the government giving people money or value of some sorts. Yeah. I don't it's know. Just, it's different, right? I mean, I don't. I'm not trying to say it's right or wrong. I'm just. It's a. It's a weird thing that. <clears throat> you know. Let me draw a distinction. Because it's not like taxpayers. I don't, it doesn't feel like taxpayers are funding this, right? Like a like a general welfare. Uh, uh, stipend or whatever that's coming from a you know a general fund of a government where taxpayers are taking money from the, the the residents. They're using this funds to then give back out payments. This seems a little different to me. No. I think that I'm going to draw a differentiation on local government, city, county government wants to do this. I'm on board. I think that that is the appropriate level for doing this type of venture. If you guys can run a balanced budget at that point and you can hand money back in the form of a dividend, God bless you. 
Now, I mean, I think most people would rather you just cut taxes, but that's neither here nor there, and I'm not here to comment on that. So, But that's what I mean. Locally, if you want to vote on this and pass this and support this, I'm a fan. I think that makes a lot of sense. Do it district by district. It can make you more competitive. It could be a very good incentive for people to come in. I think Bitcoin makes the most sense in this regard, too, because it's another way to differentiate yourself and encourage people to move to Miami you know, before it's wiped off the face of the earth. On the flip side, I think if you want to take this and apply this at a national level, then I would think it's a terrible idea and not something that we should be trying to do. Because I think, generally speaking, the higher up the chain you go as far as government levels, the less competence and the more corruption are inevitable. So, and I would agree with you, just you think of all the positive, but if you look at the negative, right? So if there's a negative, if something happens uh, on a national level, on a negative side, it happens to everybody on a negative side. Whereas something happens to Miami, the people of even Orlando don't get affected by necessarily what Miami does. So I kind of echo your sentiments there that uh, the more local this is implemented, the better. Um, I don't know that it's going to increase. I mean, listen, there's already enough reasons to move to Miami, I guess, if you really want to, <laughs> if you want to try to make the argument to move to Miami, there's, you know, weather and, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the social life is supposed to be, uh, you know, beaches and lots whatever. of culture. Right, right. Just lots of things to do in Miami. And so, the, and if and, you like you know, cocaine, I'm told there's and, a lot of it there. And if you hate income tax, you know, there is not one in the state of Florida. So that's a, a, a state level benefit, but it obviously affects people to move to Miami. Um, I don't know. I mean, it may affect or impact or attract, you know, some big wigs. I mean, there is some like, uh, was a blockchain.com moved their headquarters to Miami. Nice. Uh, there's somebody who I can't remember who it is who sponsored or gave the naming rights to one of the stadiums down there. It's yeah. also a crypto uh, uh, company. So there is clearly an effort by this mayor specifically, and I'm guessing uh, the supporters of him and his administration to kind of make a carve out a crypto niche there in Miami. So um, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, I guess more to the what I think we all agree is a, you know, uh, uh, Bitcoin is not going anywhere, I guess is really kind of where I was going. Like it, whether or not it maintains a $64,000 price point, I have no idea. Sure. But like the, the technology of blockchain specifically with the Bitcoin token is not going anywhere. People will be using this from now until the end of electricity. So it's a wonderful way of wording that. Right. Uh, I don't disagree with the word that you said. I think it's right. Good for Miami. Good for um, Mayor Suarez. Suarez, yeah. Uh, good for them on trying it. Like the states and local governments are supposed to be the experiments of democracy. This is where we try things to see how they go. Give it a run. People are free to leave. People are free to stay. Uh, give it a shot. And yeah. then just for the love of God, keep the federal government out of it. So... I worry that it's leading to too much of a normalization and setting up regulation. That's my fear. Is I is is someone that I view cryptocurrencies, uh, their their real utility and value to the world as a whole, and the fact that it is decentralized. I th- I think that is the why I'm intrigued by them. I think that's why I like them. It's definitely why I own them, and it's because I think it serves as a hedge. Um, we all know centralized economies don't work. I don't know why we think centralized currency. I want. I know the word manipulation's wrong, but accurate. So let's go with centralized currency planning would be such a massive success over time when we know centralized economic planning doesn't work over time. I don't know why we think the other side would be true. Like 
Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen are just so smart that they know exactly what's going to happen when they increase the money supply 5,000% over the course of 10 years and there's not going to be hyperinflation. Or it's going to be transitory, you know, until this week. And now it's not. Weird. So I think that we put too much faith in these people. And I, my fear is that right now they could say, well, there's Bitcoin is such a risk. We need to regulate it. And the counter argument is, no, you don't. Everybody is getting in of their own free will and they know the risk. There's nothing that says you have to have Bitcoin. You're going to go in. My only worry is if you go down this rabbit hole of the city starts, other cities start, states start, counties get into it. Now you do have people that if, if Bitcoin does get manipulated downward, which it has been in the past, and there are people trying to do that. Like, there shouldn't be these massive swings when 85% of Bitcoin has not been traded in the last five years. That tells me there's some type of manipulation going on. I don't want to see it regulated. I don't want to see the federal government. I don't want to see the SEC. I don't want to see the Federal Reserve. I want none of them getting involved whatsoever. Well, there is a Fed coin in the works, so. I'm aware. Yeah. Um, it's not really going to be, like, backed by, it's, not, it's going to be a centralized token, so it's not really going to be, like, a Bitcoin. Um, it's going to be, a, like, backed by the exact same thing that the current fiat currency is yeah. two, two, two things i want to touch on before we move on so we i did get a uh uh shane hannon in chat shane hannon that'd be my brother ah uh sorry shane. he says he's taking five five to six different coins right now and it says it's like earning interest on your crypto he's like paid in more crypto so it's a uh i don't know if you're lending it out <clears throat> to someone to use it you can do that and then that's staking and then you're you know when they <clears throat> when it has to come due they pay it back with uh more crypto than what they originally borrowed from sounds like i mean listen your brother knows a lot more about cryptocurrency than i do i'll be the first one to acknowledge me too i'm yeah. intrigued by the idea i am intrigued by the utility i am not well versed on the ins and the outs and if you ask me gun to my head what is it going to be like in 10 years i would tell you i don't have a freaking clue i am just intrigued by the notion and i like that it provides sort of the contrarian hedge to all established dogma surrounding currency and monetary policy well and then the last thing I want to end on, and we'll move on, is that this may not be the last one. So looking into the Miami coin, uh, it's working off a uh, uh, another token called Stacks and basically CityCoin. So CityCoin is using this coin Stacks, and it's trying to implement it in other, uh, other cities across the state. So this, might not, this may be the first one, but maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe it'll be coming to a city near us uh, sooner than later. Like it. One catalyst for a Bitcoin price and a necessity for uh, Bitcoin at the city level inflation. Uh, Transitory. Yeah. So reading an article uh, from the Freedom of Economic Education, I feel like it is. I'm sorry if I'm missing a fee. His uh, uh, foundation for economic education. Yes. Uh, Brad Palumbo, one of their uh, writers. uh, This is actually posted in the Washington Examiner, but... Inflation hits worst levels since 1990, but not for the reasons you think. Now, he goes on to reference uh, part of the, uh, the, the Federal Reserve and, and other things in here, which I think is all obviously contributing to what we're at. But historic inflation levels, Mr. Hughesong. Um, I joked about your turkey costing whatever. I've been seeing people are t- screenshotting their turkeys, and I've seen them, you know, 18 pounds, $80. I saw that. That's crazy. So Wild. Um, I even seen an organic Wegmans one was $80. So it's not even just, it's, you know, it's not just, uh, it's, it's everywhere, right? It's here. It's there. It's everywhere. It's turkeys. It's gas. It's a bunch of things. So I'm guessing, I mean, at least the Biden administration or was it the Brandon administration acknowledged that we have inflation for the first time in a, 
in a, in a in a short minute at least anyway you know as opposed to uh kind of uh, saying that it wasn't case um I just don't get how you could deny it for so long and even them saying it's it's transitory it's it's temporary whatever else and you're going Look, you might be right, but there's no possible way you could know that right now. There's no, I mean, yes, eventually it will stop. At what point is it not transitory? Because if it lasts for 10 years and then goes away, I think we would all agree that's not what we would mean by transitory inflation. Right. Um, and I do think, I read the same article from the Washington Examiner, and I, I guess, look, here's my layman's opinion on on all of this stuff. There are, there is not one problem. There is not one aspect causing this inflationary pressure to continue. It did not one thing that did not start it. The reality is this has been coming and we've been setting the stage for this for 20 years. I mean, we, we do have too loose of a monetary policy, in my opinion. Like the idea behind the Fed was in times of depression and recession, the government expands or the Federal Reserve, not the government, the Federal Reserve expands monetary policy to loosen it up and get more money on there. Lower interest rates, more money, encourage people to get out, get access to capital and go invest it, grow it and use it in the economy. And then the flip side of that is when the economy is booming, they're supposed to taper or reduce the looseness of the monetary policy and tighten it back up. Interest rates go back up. That way, it's a balance you're supposed to strike. What are interest rates right now? Uh, one, roughly, and they've <laughs> been that way since 2010. Like it's yeah. so. The problem being is when you do have too loose of monetary policy, it does cause problems. So the dot com crash of the late 90s, 2000s was we had not not as bad as it is now, but by the standards of the time, a looser monetary policy. You had all these dot coms going, and that's where all the money was flowing into, and then it crashed. We loosened monetary policy a little bit more. We reduced the uh, regulations on mortgage interest and, and who could apply for a mortgage. And we decided housing was a fundamental human right and everybody was entitled to a home or nine. And as a result, that flooded over and it was it threw things out of balance. And so then there was people that had three, four, five, six, seven houses. And in reality, they shouldn't have been able to afford one. But because the monetary policy was so loose, because the lending policies and rules were so laxed, then you get the natural greed and corruption of banks and mortgage companies involved. And what do you expect is going to happen? Exactly what did. The mortgage crisis happened. It caused a huge downturn. And that one was extrapolated and made worse by the fact that the rating agencies, Moody's and S&P, which are supposed to be the impartial arbiters of letting us know what is actually inside these investments, rated these junk CMO tranches as AAA secure rated. And they should never have been, but the people at Moody's were like, well, if we don't give it to them, they're just going to go to S&P. And S&P said the same thing about Moody's. And you're going, guys, that's kind of your only job is is to make sure this doesn't happen. And instead, you just rubber stamped it along and then, you know, left Moody's and went to go work for J.P. Morgan. Weird. Um, so now, if you look back, historically speaking, it's supposed to go back and forth. They're supposed to loosen and then tighten and loosen and then tighten. And the reality is, for at least the last... 13 years there's been no tightening it's just been loosened and then when it's they don't even get the chance to tighten as soon as they let up on loosening there's some panic and people go nuts and then when covid hit and we inexplicably shut down the country for six months they were like all right well let's just fire up the printing press and i'm one money supplier i'm two money supplies shot through the roof again so let's go why is inflation happening i don't know let's keep it overly simple and say it's supply and demand the supply of money has never been greater than it is right now. That would naturally 
drive down costs, or excuse me, drive down the value leading to inflation. You also factor in, we shut down the world for months. And so now the, the, all the production, the means of production that have been in existence in all these systems were delayed and they have not, they're not making up for it in time. And now you factor in another labor shortage on top of it. And then the shipping fiasco in the Pacific Ocean right now where local zoning ordinances combined with environmental regulations combined with people getting out of the trucking industry combined with uh, five to ten other factors that are causing what was the total like a half a million ships sitting out in the ocean with goods on them all right well now this the supply of goods that you want to spend your money on has dropped but demand has not now we're reopening and the demand is actually going up as supply goes down Again, I'm not an economist, but if demand goes up and supply goes down, what do we expect having a price? Yep. There you go. Yeah, prices are just signals. Right. So the prices go up. The monetary policy is so loose that there is an increase in supply, which is then going to say, well, people have more money, so now $20 is not worth $20. It's worth what used to buy you $30 worth of goods or $10 worth of goods. So you're, you're spending more money for the same thing because you have it. So and now factor in a government a government spending program that is so far beyond asinine that you can't even wrap your brain around it, and it's not one factor. It is a multitude of factors that have led to this point, and it's not something that it's not Joe Biden's fault. It's not Donald Trump's fault. It's not Barack Obama's fault. It's not Ben Bernanke's fault. It's not Janet Yellen's fault. It's not Alan Greenspan's fault. It's all of their faults, and it is our fault for accepting it. And it's our fault for letting it go for so long and only getting upset about it when it's the other political party that does it. That's what the problem is. And it's funding two 20-year wars in the Middle East and countless ones that we didn't officially fight um, to the tune of trillions of dollars that we now can reasonably conclude did absolutely nothing. So, I mean, what do you expect to happen here? Like, this is, historically speaking, exactly what you would predict when you start loosening monetary policy and you don't have the responsible adult in the room to go, okay, now we got to tighten it. Yeah. Listen, I mean, I, you know, it wasn't in this level of detail, but I kind of remember asking the county executive this back in June that when he was waiting for this big package of money to come to his way, I was like, how does that make the people in Iowa feel? Now we all know. Yeah, not good. I. The idea that you can manipulate this from a central location has been so thoroughly disproven time and again all over the world that it's hard to fathom we are still doing it. And yet we are, and we we just can't hit the pedal fast enough. Like, we can't hit that print button enough times over and over and over. And then we, we always think, like, look, a lot of these problems that we're having right now, both from the labor shortage issues, supply chain issues, and inflationary issues are all brought upon by the federal government spending money and passing laws. Or state and local governments passing zoning ordinances that says you can't stack containers more than too high or else you automatically lose your license. Or that the shipping yards each own their own individual trailers, but you can't drop a trailer at another shipping yard. You have to bring it back, therefore wasting valuable time and resources and unable to unload these ships fast enough. Like if the, I don't want to say the fundamental problem, but but let's just say a significant reason behind these problems that we're having right now is government rules. So naturally what's the answer to solve them? More government. More government rules is the obvious answer. We just need more government involvement. You get the government involved, they screw it up. Better people, people in government. Yeah, our people are the right ones. It's The problem is it's those <clears throat> evil guys on the other side that are incompetent, stupid, and greedy. But when our people are in there, we're going to fix it all. Yeah, just need some I, angels. 
I mean, how many times can you do this same thing over and over before you realize that they're all incompetent, they're all on the take, they're all corrupted, and for the most part, they're idiots. There was somebody that had a great quote of like, if you look at every member of Congress, including senators and House of Representatives, there's roughly four that can speak to you about monetary policy with roughly any intelligence, and none of them will do it publicly. Even then, none of them will go on the record about it. Rand Paul will go on the record about it. He's like the only right, one. No, his and only because his dad, right? His right. dad was such a champion of that. So God, Ron and just, Paul was great when he used to get to interview those dude, people. Don't, give me, don't make me get out my Ron Paul signs. I mean, from 2008, time. 2012. What I got was both. the thing? What was the, what was the phrase? Ron Paul revolution. The Ron Paul revolution. Yeah. No. But he was great with the Fed because he would just call out their nonsense because yeah. they speak in all these really big, eloquent words and everybody's like, oh, they must be smart. And he's over here like, you're an idiot. And let me explain to you what you're really saying. Some of the, I mean, I'm clear. I was probably one of like twelve people watching, but there was like this. They would all have these crazy exchanges between Bernanke and Ron Paul. Ron Paul. They would discuss like, is gold money right? And they like have these crazy philosophical like. But r- r- Dr. Paul was clearly trying to get at a certain point, and he basically, you know, Bernanke would have to, you know, dance around his issue a word sale to try to figure it out. But and let me just r- wrap this uh, inflation talk with uh, exactly what you were talking about, though. So. The president goes out and says, uh, wages are up in October, 0.4% wage increase year month over month from September. Guess, guess what the, uh, the uh, inflation rate was month over month? 0.9%. So 0.5% reduction in real wages. <laughs> That's a shame. So your purchasing power is less, even though you got a raise. So, so Yeah, basically you lost. And here's the thing. Think about it in terms of this. What is the point of money? The point of money is to buy the goods and services yeah, that you want. That's it. It's just a means of getting those things. It's money in, in and of itself means nothing. If you could, if I gave you ten million monopoly dollars, you wouldn't care because it's not the money that matters. It's what you could purchase with the money that matters. So, have you ever seen the the picture of all the monopoly money laid out and then all the new bills laid out next to it and how the colors all match? No. Yeah, I'll show you that later. All right, cool. But listen, and just so we are clear on money supply, something to the effect of 20% of all the currency of all the U.S. dollars in circulation at present were printed in the last year. That's crazy. We've been printing money since like 1920, and one out of five dollars that are currently in circulation was printed printed or minted within the last 12 months i guess it's 18 months at this point but that percentage has probably yeah. also gone up um that's, yeah it's i'm not the smartest guy in the world dude. but when you have real economists coming out and publicly saying on tv that they support the idea of the u.s treasury minting a platinum coin and deciding it's worth three trillion dollars and that's how you're going to spend more government money presto like abracadabra it's like we have this unbelievable aversion to the fact that everything in nature requires good and bad up and down and we don't just get to have the euphoria of up all the time without eventually it coming down it's just not reality but we just pretend like we can ignore that forever and then when things inevitably go wrong it's never our fault like what yeah (sighs) all right i really don't have an easy transition to this one but Let's talk uh, a little bit uh, local politics-ish, New York City. So we talked about uh, they have a new mayor, or incoming mayor. I guess technically he's the mayor-elect. Mayor-elect. Eric Adams. So apparently he, or the city, I guess, uh, well, let's back up a little bit here. Eric Adams has said that he's going to bring back plainclothes officers to uh, patrol 
New York City because of the surge of, of crime, right? So this was, de Blasio basically mm-hmm. took away the plainclothes officers because they basically, you know, were... Stopping <laughs> too many crimes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and so when the mayor-elect Adams says that he's going to bring back these plainclothed officers, uh, BLM leader, what's his name? Hank Newsom? Sure. Hawk Newsom, sorry. Hank, sorry to all the Hanks out there. Hawk Newsom said there will be riots, there will be fire, and there will be bloodshed. Quote, unquote, right outside of Mayor, the right on City Hall down there in New York City. So I'm not really sure where this is going to play out. But, I mean, it uh, sounds like riots, sounds, bloodshed, and fire. That's exactly what it seems like. So I, I find this somewhat, you know, it's more than... Uh, concerning because we already went through a prolonged period of uh, months of, of violence and in New York City had some of the worst. And people aren't living in the city right now. People have left the city in large part because they don't want to deal with what's going on in the city. And some of that is the, the high crime rate. So I'm not sure if this is uh, just a foreshadowing, but it is uh, something that I think we should keep an eye on anyway. So, like I said, that's all we need is a bunch of uh, riots in New York City to spice up sports clicks and politics. Um, Listen, I don't know that plainclothes cops are a good or a bad idea. I think that policing has gotten to the point where it's so difficult to do, especially in major cities. And I think same thing. We always want there to be some simple, reasonable explanation that will fully define the problem. And there's not. There's a lot of little things that go into it. Um. And I think, for the most part, though, if you if you want to talk about who's in favor of what, even the data at the height of, or just before the riots, out of New York City, was the overwhelming majority of African Americans, Hispanics, uh, white people, had an overwhelmingly positive view of thinking their local law enforcement did a good job. That was it was something like 75%. Three out of four people said our local cops are doing a good job. And that the lowest was actually Asian Americans. Asian Americans had like the lowest opinion of police. And to your point there, I think, is that Eric Adams ran on a, you know, I'm not defunding the police. That's kind of stupid message, right? So like he's kind of ran at the you know, up yeah. against the BLM narrative. And so they're they're pushing back after he won now. So if you want to solve the policing problem, in my opinion, the the first thing you can do is have less laws. I, for sure. I mean, my God, like the fact that it is illegal to the point where you can be arrested for selling loose cigarettes, like we can all agree that's dumb. I, what, why? For for what here? And then that the, will get into possession and narcotics and everything else. And yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that's illegal. And now New York State just banned menthol cigarettes because they were disproportionately affecting the black community. All right, well, if they're disproportionately being used by the black community and they are highly addictive and we just went through the whole drug epidemic that we can all look back in hindsight and go, that didn't go well. That was really bad. There was some really bad unintended consequences there. We were trying to save the black community and instead we ended up incarcerating them for 30 years. Thanks, Senator Biden. But anyways, now you're going to do the same thing with cigarettes. And now as a cop, you're supposed to, when you see somebody going out and smoking a menthol, are you supposed to go arrest them? Technically, yeah, that's your job. And guess what that person is more than likely going to be? It ain't Caucasian. So I don't know. Maybe maybe we should start with looking at the legislatures and saying, could, could we stop being insane? Could, could we maybe look at stopping that? 
and then let's start worrying about the uh, what the need is for cops and, and the proper roles. But we're not going to. We're just going to keep doubling down on crazy, doubling down on stupid, asking cops to do entirely too much, and then uh, firing a third of them because they refuse the vaccine mandate. Smart. This is going to go super well. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on New York City, and hopefully uh, no riots break out there. But uh, interesting that the... Uh, the incoming mayor and the BLM, uh, they actually met, I guess, yesterday or two days ago. I can't remember now because um, he was protesting out front of City Hall and then the mayor called him up. So I don't know. Maybe they'll work this out. The new mayor, the incoming mayor, the is incoming a black mayor. man, right? That's correct. That's what I thought. I was like, did I make that up? No, or, or, no, all right. I know. Yeah. No, he's a black man. Has he been labeled the new face of white supremacy yet? Uh, no, that was the California governor. That candidate. was Larry Elder. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how I'd respond to that. I mean. Dave Chappelle embraced his character there. The uh, what the hell? Clinton remember? Bigsby. Is that is what it is? The yeah. black white supremacists. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's that guy now too. But that was one of the funniest skits that has ever been done, and I people would be horrified by it today. But oh my god, when that came out, it was the funniest thing imaginable. All right, and I don't really have a transition to this one either. But let's uh, touch on Kyle Rittenhouse since the closing arguments are going on as we speak here. Um, I believe the prosecution is in the middle of their. Uh, uh, the closing arguments as I'm skimming through some live chats here. But one bit of information I did want to bring to everybody's attention was that they, uh, the judge threw out the uh, uh, dangerous weapon charge, um, which seemed to be all but a mere formality a couple days ago when the defense basically laid out how Kyle Rittenhouse was not in violation of that law at all, um, that the law was written a certain way. And it, it was, it's kind of unclear. I mean, it's, you really have to kind of know your legalese, I guess, but I've seen enough breakdowns of it to, to, to understand what it means and that there's two exceptions to this rule and you have to be in violation of them both to be evicted and he's not. So it, it was basically, they never should have been charged with that. Not that he should have been charged with first degree murder either, but he never should have been charged with this uh, dangerous weapon charge to begin with because he wasn't in violation of the law at all. So every law is written and there's certain requirements that have to be met for you to be charged with that specific crime. Like you have to have possession with knowing intent and be of a certain age and be in a certain location. And if you can't hit every one of those, you're not in violation of that law. I don't know this law intimately well, but I believe his age factored in. And I believe at 17, it brought in different exceptions. than if you were 16 and because he was 17 at the time he held the weapon, then the, the, none of the exceptions came into play anymore. And so the defense attorney basically pointed out, said, listen, because he was 17, when he possessed this weapon, you've, you physically cannot establish, you cannot prove this under any circumstances. This guy could have been walking down Main Street with the gun loaded and at the ready, and you still he wouldn't have been guilty of it. There's, there was no reading of fact that could have actually had him in violation of the law, and he was right. And shockingly enough, the prosecution was wrong again. Yeah, so the whole prosecution has been basically amateur hour the whole time. I mean, they've been in violation. I mean, they, they, they basically, they literally questioned his right to remain silent. So they I mean, questioned, like, they tried to point it out to the jury. Yeah. Like folks, that's about lawyer one oh one. Yeah. Again, not a lawyer very long would not hire myself to do any legal work. And even I know you can't point out because it's a violation of this little thing in the constitution called the fifth amendment. And it's your right against self-incrimination, meaning you have the right to just not respond. And the prosecutor is not allowed to point that out. And, allude to the fact that that might be a sign of your guilt. Yeah, which he blatantly did. 
And, More I mean, than they, once. Yeah, right. I mean, they, listen, the, the judge, you know, basically wrote him up and down after he did it too. But so anyway, I'm assuming we'll have some kind of uh, verdict here today or tomorrow or somewhere in the, in the, in the near future. And maybe we'll uh, piggyback on that next week, I'm sure. But uh, the uh, all, all signs point to a... At worst for Kyle Rittenhouse, a lesser charge. Like he's not going to get first degree murder. The one, the, the 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 dangerous weapon charge has already been dropped. Like it's it's going to be like involuntary manslaughter or acquittal, right? I feel like I, that's, listen, involuntary manslaughter would still be a miscarriage of justice, in my opinion. In this, situation. he shouldn't be charged with anything. I agree. I'm just I'm thinking of the, and I don't, you know, it's hard for me to try to get in the heads of twelve jurors, but like, there's got to be some like. Something in there being like, well, if if we just get him on something light or lesser, then we'll let the judge deal with the sentence, and then we'll be off the hook. We won't look like we let him go, yeah. kind of thing. So um, that's wrong. Yeah, I mean, there's people. There was I don't know if you saw the people. There was you know people filming the jury, like whatever. So I mean, there's there's definitely been some uh, I don't know intimidation is the right word, but there's been some shenanigans going on. So. We will report back on uh, whatever happens with uh, Kyle Rittenhouse uh, on episode seventy-five. Sure. Um. All right, so this this topic, I don't know if near and dear to my heart is uh, the right thing, but uh, we get a couple things all merged together here, Mr. Hughesong. What do we got? Ashley Biden's diary, the FBI, the New York Times, and Project Veritas. Oh, crap. So you guys maybe have heard um, that uh, the FBI rated... James O'Keefe, who is the uh, president, CEO, whatever, founder of Project Veritas, um, in like a pre-dawn raid, you know, like with battering rams and like 12 agents. like Who is he, Roger Stone? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and they confiscated uh, phones and computers, the FBI did. Sure. Weirdly, some of that information showed up in the New York Times article two days later, with they're basically saying, hey, look at uh, this information that uh, we got on Project Veritas. I am shocked. And so this all stems from something that happened pre-election 2020, right? So in October or September of, of 2020, uh, the story goes Project Veritas was a whistleblower, came forward and gave Project Veritas a the diary of Ashley Biden. Now, who's Ashley Biden? Ashley Biden is the 39-year-old daughter of Joe Biden, sure. President Joe Biden. The uh, What I was going to say is the less heralded <laughs> offspring of the president. I mean, compared yeah, to, because... I mean, I wish Bo was around. You had Bo to, on the high end. Right. You had Hunter taking up the rear, right. and she fits somewhere in the middle. She kind of uh, disappeared into obscurity because of her brothers. Um, but so Ashley Biden is the president's daughter. And so this diary... And I'm, I've read it. Unverified. Uh, it was unverified at the time. So let's continue on with that story part then. So Project Veritas did not publish this diary. So they had this diary. They had the information. They could not substantiate it. They did not run the story. They handed it back over to authorities. The authorities wouldn't take it. They tried to hand it over to a couple of different places. So people wouldn't take it, but eventually they got it back. So fast forward to whatever, a month ago. Uh, before James O'Keefe's house was raided, a, uh, I don't know if it was a former journalist for Project Veritas, his home was also raided over the same issue of this Ashley Biden yeah. 
uh, I'm assuming this is the whistleblower or had the uh, contact with the whistleblower first before uh, James O'Keefe and Project Veritas did. I'm assuming this other person did. So um, the, the, the diary has some weird uh, entries, let's just say. So I'm only going to bring up one, um, but it's, there's a, a couple pages of where basically she's talking about her, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase her sex addiction, right? So she apparently talks about having, thinking about sex all the time, wants to have sex, uh, f- finds it therapeutic. And, you know, it's, she says it in, the, in there somewhere is like, it's better than drugs, right? So like it's, it's, she's using it as some kind of a self-help medication. But in that same page, lower down on the page, she talks about her inappropriate, and those are her words, showers that she took when she was a kid with her dad. I could have gone without hearing that. So, so this Ashley Biden's diary and you know, maybe we don't know that it's actually hers, but it seems as though there's a bunch of confirmations kind of like, uh, not official confirmations, but there's been enough, uh, substantial circumstantial evidence. Let's just say that makes them think that these, this is a real diary. So, but beside the point, if it's real or not, James O'Keefe from project Veritas did not publish the diary. Somebody else did. You can go find it. Um, if you want a link, just get it. Get direct message me somehow. I'll get you the link. You can read the, the diary if you want. Sure. Um, I have. I've actually read some of it. I, I yeah, didn't know that part. It's. I mean, like I said, it's a diary, so there's a bunch of you know intimate thoughts going on there. But the problem, or the bigger issue I have with this whole thing and the Ashley Biden diary itself and her relationship with her dad is clearly a crazy story but the fact that the fbi raided project veritas over even if it was a stolen diary right what are they doing what's the fbi doing over a stolen diary right and the fact that the new york times who's being sued by project veritas for defamation ends up with information that was obtained during the raid is beyond concerning right i mean that is disturbing it should be for any journalist who's out there that if you seemingly he didn't even publish the information and still right. got the, 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 the raid on his house and his information. And that information was basically given to the New York times. So I don't know where this story ends. Um, a federal judge basically put a halt on the FBI's retrieving of data from this raid. And so now they're, they're stuck in a court, whatever decision. Um, but it's crazy that, you know, on the, 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 the so-called mainstream media have basically dismissed this as, okay, Project Veritas is a video maker. They don't even call him a journalist. They won't even acknowledge that he's a journalist at all, ever. Like, they can't do that because, obviously, they would then be like basically pointing to themselves as being subject to these same kind of raids, right? So they try to dismiss him as a non-journalist. And the fact that the FBI is conducting any of this stuff over a stolen diary is beyond overreach. I mean... Like, what the hell's going on here? I don't know. That's not true. I do know. Like, the New York Times is basically the propaganda wing of the state at this point, uh, particularly the intelligence communities. The FBI seems to be fully on board, at least not the rank and file, but the leadership is uh, on a power grab. It's trying to contain and and retain more and more power, um, which they are getting. And if they are, if the January 6th trials have taught us anything, it's that they have no interest in, like, you know, truth and justice, and it's all about narratives and um, just getting the guilty pleas and selling the public on on this story going a certain way. 
the the notion that they conducted a raid under the pretext of well he obtained stolen information but then didn't publish it and did try to turn it in so i mean did they raid me, uh daniel ellsberg for the pentagon papers nope no did they raid the person who stole trump's tax records they did not I'm guessing I could probably name a couple other ones. Those are just the two that literally just came off the top of my head. No, because it's very normal for all this to to go on. Um, I I don't grasp how the media has collapsed this much upon itself. And it's just... The FBI should be disbanded. It's hard to argue at this point. Literally, they should be disbanded. They're, they're, they're They're just a rogue agency. They're literally doing whatever they want. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's hard. They, I don't know what they do outside of thwart their own plots. I mean, even Politico came out. Uh, Josh Gerstein or Gerstein, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I'm sorry, Josh. He came out, Politico article, basically questioning this whole thing, being like, this is not, this smells terrible, right? So, and looks worse. It's like, it is, it is literally an attack on opposition journalism. It's, it's. They're, it's not even, uh, they're not even hiding it. They're literally just doing it right out in the open to, to basically try to deter anybody else from doing it, I'm assuming. I mean, think about it. And if you use, if you just left out the words that we described them as and just said, there's a country in the world where the National Law Enforcement Agency is raiding the homes of reporters that publish any information critical of the administration. Yeah, could you charge. imagine could you imagine if Trump had done this to like, I don't know, what's this dude's name? James Acosta? James Ac- Acosta there Acosta. from CNN. So what if they what imagine if there was like a pre-dawn raid on Acosta's house? No. <laughs> the attack. He would James, be impeached again. Jim Acosta literally wrote a book called A Dangerous Time to Tell the Truth in America. This self-aggrandizing piece of garbage is the everything that is wrong with the media today. Because there was no raids on his house. Yes, he got made fun of by the president because he asked very stupid questions and Donald Trump did not tolerate him. And he called his organization fake news, which at the time was roughly the funniest thing Donald Trump had ever said. Next to when Hillary Clinton sent out a tweet that said Donald Trump thinks the Democrats care what what we do, what his opinion is. Somebody should ask him how it feels to keep putting his stuff where it doesn't belong. And he responded, ask Bill. That was the single funniest thing Donald Trump ever said, without question. And I I almost cried. I was laughing so hard because that was like, this is a legitimate candidate for the president who just put that on Twitter. And then when he just looked at Jim Acosta and was like, I'm not calling on you, you're fake news, and moved on. And for a lot of people, if you're paying attention, CNN has been fake news for 20 years. It, It just, there's been no objectivity. There's been no journalistic integrity. It's just been propaganda for the state. Like, and it's not a Democrat or a Republican thing. It is literally the intelligence communities, the state, and when in a pinch, they side with the Democrats over the Republicans. Yeah. But it's not the that's not the first priority. So the fact that Jim Acosta wrote that book, and now you have an actual independent journalist, and I know he makes sting video, he gets people to admit things on tape, yeah. and then publishes it. Like I don't know, like gets to the truth, and then publishes it for everybody to see. We. We used to call that journalism. Yeah. I don't know when that changed, but okay. Yeah, the, like I said, he, I, I, I mean, I, I'll fully admit, okay, he tricks his, you know, the subjects of his interviews into thinking they are people that they are not. Okay, well, that doesn't change the fact that the information that the subject is giving is false. 
Right. It's, it makes it more true almost because he's he feels like he's giving it to a safe source. He wouldn't be giving it to a reporter. That's the whole point. Yeah, and then he publishes it, and it gets the truth out there, yeah. which, you know, believe it or not, was the whole goal of a free and independent press and yeah. why the freedom of the press was in the First Amendment as a right which should not be infringed by the federal government. I don't think what anybody counted on was the press would turn into the mouthpiece of the federal government. Yeah. Stenographers. Holy crap, how did this happen? But here we are, and it's just wild to watch this play out, and it's a tragedy because people genuinely don't care. That's my that's my take. Well, they don't care because because it's it's the wrong team, right? Because it's Project of, Veritas, yeah. because it's James O'Keefe, yeah. and because they have been led to believe by CNN, MSNBC, at all, and Syracuse.com, and Syracuse.com that they that, deceptively edit videos, like right. they and they just don't do and that. They, and listen, this guy is <clears throat> how many how many defamation cases has he won now? I don't know, but he's undefeated. It's like double digits. That I don't know, but he's going like, after people. There's something like three hundred and seventy retractions. So. Right, and he's going after him and saying, "Like, look, you're telling, you're accusing me of this. That is a lie. That is defamatory." I don't see any Russiagate retractions. Oh my god! Exactly. Yeah, we're gonna have to talk about that next week, and the fact that well, we talked about a little bit of steel. I know, last but, week, but it's more has come out. Like, oh my god, what a travesty and a miscarriage of the press! If you still are buying into any of the nonsense coming from this corporate media, like, my god, why? Yeah. Like I said, this I think that this is just the latest episode of that. It's like a they're they're going after Veritas because they don't abide by the 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 the, the norms that these media outlets are under from the government. Like I just they out, they operate outside that, which is great. So they keep getting caught red handed. Yeah, inexcusable, un, indefensible, unjustifiable lies. Or at any reasonable undertaking, we should have known that it was wrong. And they get caught repeatedly, continuously, over and over again. And half the country is still going, uh, you guys are just anti-press. I like to think that, in the Rittenhouse is in a prime example of this as well, that maybe, I've definitely seen, and people have pointed out even more, um, some of what I, I don't know, lefties, progressives, whatever you want to sound, people who were... Sure as hell that Rittenhouse went there and shot up a bunch of black dudes at a BLM protest. Like, that was the narrative that was out there. I know. And then a bunch of people were like, wait, these guys were white? Like, yeah, they shot three white dudes. Like, it wasn't, it was, it was not what the media ever. painted it out to be. And, you know, it's just, that's just one example, of, the, the latest example of it. Well, we've got, we got a handful of examples of it in our show today. So, um, the media sucks. I think that's kind of like the general it's, gist of but it's why worse. we do what we do. <laughs> it's worse than that they suck. It's that they lie. And they be and they lie at the behest of the most powerful people in the country and in the world. They lie to do the bidding yep. of the people that already have all the power. There is nobody genuinely holding these people accountable to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. And you're when you do, you get this. raided by the FBI. I mean, I think I'm going to at some point. And I'm just, listen, yeah. I'm, I'm, good God, I'm sorry in advance if that happens, but... I'm trying to stay off the radar. Like, I just, I'm critical. Uh, there's no question about that. But, Jesus, nobody gave me a diary. And please, if you have a diary of a Biden family member, give it to somebody else. I'll take it. I don't want it. Well, give it to me. I'm on it. Um, you heard him. All right. So, we'll, I'll follow up on that. We'll see what happens. Uh, we got a bunch of things to follow up on. But uh, big fans of Project Veritas. So, hopefully, uh, you know, those who were. Here's the thing. 
I don't even like Project Veritas. I don't even like James O'Keefe. He seems like a tool. But the fact is, yeah. he provides a service that is valuable and more people should be doing. I wish somebody who was less of a tool would do it. Somebody that I could genuinely like and get yeah. on board I, with. But it's not. He is who he is. They're doing what they're doing. And what they're doing to them is wrong. And what I say in defense of James O'Keefe would be, like, they literally attack him every second of the day. So, I know. And so when you're right enough times, you're like, fuck it. I'm just going to be a dick. Right? I know, right, which is where I, I'm at. You know, like I'm it. in that mode right now too myself. So, so yeah, keep going. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's talk a little bit about vaccine mandates before we wrap up here. Um, I'd like to. I don't know, maybe you heard Florida has uh, decided they're going to opt out of OSHA. Good, and so you guys probably know that OSHA is the tool being used by the Biden administration to implement these vaccine mandates, basically making it somehow a, uh, uh, a crisis at for employees. And that's why these, all these, uh, uh, mandates need to be implemented through some OSHA regulations. So, um, Florida, the state of Florida and governor DeSantis has basically, uh, called for a special session and they're going to basically see if they can get out from under, uh, OSHA's rule guidelines, whatever you want to talk about and do their own thing at, at a state level. So, I'm all for this. I'd love to do this on any federal agency. If you want like OSHA, the FDA, the FBI, fucking do it all. Do it all at the state level. I don't think the federal government needs to do much of any of this stuff. So, um, I find it interesting. I don't know if this is if a the government can force you to make oh, a medical decision, a that. personal I'm not gonna, one that you uh, disagree with. One- I don't know if this is a silver bullet to the vaccine mandates, but at least it's. Uh, a shot fired, I guess. It's somebody standing up against them. It's somebody with um with some level of power standing up and saying, "No, this is not happening." Right, I'm, and this I'm is fighting back. And this is on the heels of the you know the uh, fifth the fifth district uh, U.S. district court court of appeals um, has upheld the uh, stay on the mandate. So there is you know they're they're basically saying that. Uh, OSHA doesn't have the uh, constitutional wherewithal to kind of make this happen. So, uh, shocking. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that was, I mean, it should, it should have been, it shouldn't have been shocking, but I think most people still feel like, I mean, Biden, the administration basically said they should just do it anyway. He said, go, don't listen to the judge, just do it anyway. So talking to the private employers, cause when a yeah. private employer does it, then it's allowed. Right. So he's basically just saying, just, just go around them anyway. So, but this is on, you know, I don't know if you saw this too, and I don't want to, I don't have like a, uh, uh, anything to talk about, but this is where I think people were, were fearful of going with this vaccine mandate. So did you see that Austria has basically uh, locked down the unvaccinated? Yeah, I did see that. So again, I don't expect this to be some kind of uh, uh, mainstream idea or tactic, but the fact that any country is willing to lock down the unvaccinated versus the vaccinated who are just as easily able to spread the disease is mind boggling to me. So, um, I mean, they're doing it for their safety. So I guess, but, um, I don't know, like I said, the, 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 the vaccine mandates, I feel like it's largely unpopular. Have you seen, I haven't seen any data, um, about the kids, you know, the, the, uh, kids five to 11 vaccine has been available for a week or so now. Um, it seems as though there's a lot of appointments open for these things locally here anyway. So like I'm seeing hundreds and hundreds of open spaces, which encourages me that they're not filled. Yeah. 
So maybe some parents, more parents than we are led to believe are like, we're not doing this thing. And I hope that I'm right about that. But it seems as though it's not as uh, popular as the local officials thought it was going to be. Hopefully. I hope. I, I Listen, I have friends, I have family that are getting their, you know, five and six year old children vaccinated. And I, uh, I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. I, I don't understand. Here's the other thing. All right, before we dive into Moderna, let's just real quick on child vaccination. So they tried a dosing study, Pfizer did, to see how much of the mRNA the children could tolerate. And they did give a group of them the full 30 micro unit dose that they gave to adults. And they stopped that because literally every child was having severe adverse reactions to that level of mRNA. So they lowered it down and they finally settled that and they gave another group 20 and another group 10. And they said 10 was effective enough, 20 still. So the, the more dosage they got, the more adverse effects they had. Now, what I'm having a hard time making sense of today is I've got, you know, I got a friend who's got a five-year-old kid who probably weighs 40 pounds and I'm being generous, like soaking wet. This kid weighs 40 pounds. My, my 10-year-old twins have friends that that are pushing two bills that, that are 180 190 pounds I'm and I'm it's not an exact it's not an exaggeration like there, there's a couple of these kids that are uh, at least 170 and I can't help but wonder how is it making any sense to give a kid that weighs 40 pounds and a kid that weighs 170 pounds the exact same dosage why is there not a more specific scale based on body weight since apparently we are seeing adverse reactions at higher dosages for younger people. I would imagine that's not based on age, but based on body size and body type. Just, you know, call me crazy, but I don't think the mRNA knows how old you are. I think it goes into the body, and it's based on your height, weight, overall health. So if we know that the smaller children are having a very bad reaction to a higher dosage. How does it make any sense to give somebody that weighs 170 pounds the same exact dosage as a child that weighs 45 I feel like there's no way that can actually make sense. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree. It but I could be wrong. If you've got all. an answer for me, please send it over because I'm, I'm interested. I just I can't make sense of it, and I'm not smart enough to tell you how vaccine dosages normally work. But I also can tell you that we, even if no vaccine is done that way, we know the mRNA does have a correlation of the more you give the younger somebody, the younger or smaller person, the more adverse effects we have. Why would we think that would magically stop between the ages of 11 and 12? That just seems sort of anti-science to me. But it's neither here nor there. All right. So following up on that, um, let's dive in. We have talked about this for a couple uh, episodes here. Ben has taken some time out of his uh, busy day when he thought he was going to do nothing and decided to read up on the history of Moderna. Yeah. Um, maybe Boy, a little... I wasn't depressed before. Yeah. Uh, so you guys are probably familiar with Moderna. It's a uh, American pharmaceutical company. Uh, formerly Mode RNA Technologies. Yeah. You guys get that little play on words there? I see what you did there. I mean, that's not mine. That's their... You they, know what the ticker symbol is? They literally... Yeah, it's RN, mRNA. MRNA. Right? Yeah. So it's they embraced it, right? I'm not even. I'm not trying to make a. I'm I'm making a joke about it, but it is like they literally formed their company. It's, yeah, it's not you purpose. embracing it. The <laughs> company was formed with the sole intent of using mRNA technology to solve the world's most serious health problems. Yeah, and so this company was founded in 2010. Um, again, that was 
mode RNA therapeutics, but it became Moderna, uh, I think in 2018 or 2019. <clears throat> but what Ben wants to talk about, I feel like, is uh, how Moderna came to be the player that they are in today's uh, pharmaceutical world. Um, you sent me an article here, and I'll, I'll read a little bit of it here or reference a little bit of it here. So the Moderna CEO, Stéphane Bancel, mm-hmm. is that how you pronounce the name? I, believe so. I think it's Bancel. Stéphane Bancel, uh, again, the CEO of uh, Moderna, um, has a history of participating with the um, creation of the Wuhan Virology Lab oh, in China. Just stepping on all of the end results. We're going to get to that. Oh, well, no, I'm just trying to set up the... There. Now, you're going to have to fill in the blanks here. So, right. um, But why don't you do this? Why don't you start with whatever you want to start with? I probably have questions along the way all here, right. but uh, have at it. So, Moderna formed in about 2010 as a private LLC, and it was really founded by uh, an f- investment company. Like, they, there was a company looking to get in on this mRNA technology, and so for some quick background, the mRNA technology has been around for 30 years. That's a, That was when it was first sort of discovered, and they started working with it. Um, but most of the big pharmaceutical companies got out of mRNA over the previous 10, 15, 20 years just because, and this is quoting from an article at statnews.com, which is a website wholly dedicated to covering pharmaceutical and biotechnical companies, especially from an investment standpoint. And it says it's because, quote, it's exceedingly hard to get mRNA into cells without triggering nasty side effects, end quote. So Merck got out of it. Novartis got out of it. Roche got out of it. Um, what was the other one? Not AstraZeneca. I don't know. It, either way, it doesn't matter. Oh, Alexion got out of it. They all got out of mRNA because it they couldn't figure out a way to get it to work without triggering nasty side effects. And the fundamental reason is that the mRNA molecules have a hard time reaching their target in the body. So uh, I believe it was two researchers from Penn State who who might be up for a Nobel Prize um, discovered that if they wrapped them in a nanoparticles made of lipids, that it would get past the body's natural defense system. And that was the biggest problem is you were injecting this RNA into a human being and your natural immune system recognized it as a foreign object and destroyed it. So by cloaking it in nanoparticles made of lipids, that could get in and actually do it. Now, the problem was the nanoparticles could lead to dangerous side effects, especially if a patient had to take repeated doses over months or years. So, enter Moderna. Now, Moderna gets formed. Stéphane Boncel is named as the CEO of Moderna. Now, he has a master's in chemical engineering from the University of Minnesota and an MBA from none other than the prestigious Harvard University. Not a very strong science background. He made his money uh, with Eli Lilly. He came up big there uh, as a pharmaceutical sales rep and then as an operations guy running pharmaceutical sales and running their um, their team in Belgium for Eli Lilly. And then he went to work for another company, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. So Moderna gets formed and starts doing all of this research. And the idea is they're looking for rare and serious disorders and illnesses that they can then use mrna to treat and by that sounds very noble 
listen, if it works, it's it's world changing. If, if they can get mRNA to genuinely work to do these types of things, it would change the face of medicine. Because in theory, what you should be able to do is inject the mRNA into somebody and train the body to start looking for that to fight off whatever the genetic defect is that's causing the disease or, or the new protein or the, the new threat. And if you can do that and continuously administer mRNA to somebody from an investment, from a business standpoint, if you've got some rare disease and I've got the treatment, you're going to take my drug forever. Yes. So this is basically a subscription model for medicine. You're paying forever and I'm just making money because I got the technology right. And then the idea also was instead of having one or two drugs in trials or in your pipeline, Moderna would have a hundred. Because once they figured that out, all they had to do was he, Stefan Mancello is equated it to software. Once you have the software right, you just crank it out and you make the tweaks to adjust it to whatever disease is coming. So they had, uh, they had some good luck early on as they got started. Now, I would love to tell you how any of their trials went from 2010 through 2018, but they never published a single trial between 2010 and 2017. Now, maybe it's because they all went so well that they just didn't want to share. Or maybe it's because if you're not going to turn around and sell the the drug or the technology that you're testing, you're not under any legal obligation to disclose the results of your safety trials, but it was an industry norm forever that if something went wrong, you still published it so that other people could learn from whatever happened in that trial. Even bad data is useful data. If the If the data went bad, we want to know so that we can make it go good, right? And do you have that that article from nature.com that I sent you? Uh I no, I Okay, have, that's okay. No. So nature.com actually like published a letter reprimanding Moderna and Stefan Boncel, Barcel, I can't remember his name anymore. Boncel, yeah. Boncel. Boncel. Um because they wouldn't publish anything. There was nothing that they would do that would say, like, this is what's happening in our trials. They kept running the trials. None of them are coming through. Now, there was still a lot of optimism around Moderna. Let's just say it that way. In 2013, they managed, they finally struck gold. So they were struggling really to keep the lights on until 2013. They had about 25 employees at that time, and they struck a $240 million deal with AstraZeneca or, you know, one of the main providers of the vaccine in Europe. So AstraZeneca invested what was the most money any pharmaceutical company ever spent on drugs that had not been tested on humans for a company that had been in existence for two and a half years. And Moderna, or AstraZeneca went for $240 million of a partnership with Moderna. Later that year... Moderna got a $100 million deal with Alexicon. Alexion, I'm sorry. 2014, they raised $450 million in a single round of financing. A record at the time that was broken the following year by Moderna when they raised $475 million in a financing round. So just to be clear... Over between just 2013 and the beginning of 2016, Moderna raised at least $1.265 billion without ever publishing a single trial. Not one. It's a good gig. I'm saying. 
But they were selling. We should pulp. go into. We should make drugs. I don't think I could do it. Well, we don't have to give them to anybody. We right, have fair, to get the apparently not. Yeah, we just need the funding. Um, so one point two six five billion dollars without. Not only do they not have a marketable drug to sell, which is not abnormal in pharmaceutical industries. A lot of people invest in companies without a without a single pharmaceutical drug that they are ready to take to market. <clears throat> but usually they're in phase two, phase three trials, ready to test on humans, and you're buying the hope and the promise that those trials are going to go well. These people couldn't even see a, a, a result of a trial. None of it had been published. So that's, let's just go with odd. Now, something else happened at this point. I think it was 2014. Let me check my notes. Yes. 2014 rolls around and Stéphane Boncel announces, well, we're going to be shifting our focus from treating rare disorders and diseases, which, as you may know, is where a lot of money is. Lots of money if you can cure the rare diseases and get people on you forever. That's how you're going to make a ton of money. It's a subscription model of medicine. And instead, we're going to go into vaccines. Now, some wise investors and wise uh, analysts said at the time, that doesn't really make any sense. Um, that's Vaccines are notoriously a loss leader. They're highly competitive. The margins are bad. If you're going to do vaccines that's fine but there's no way you're worth this four or five billion dollars if you're going to do that you you couldn't justify the valuation if you're getting into vaccines there's just not enough money to be made in vaccines it's convenient right so at the time this was in a couple two years later so 2016 they started running trials for a zika vaccine a cancer vaccine and Two vaccines for undisclosed infectious diseases. All right, fair enough. It's not weird that you're not saying what it is, but okay. And in 2016, I'm going to quote this directly, and I'm going to butcher this person's name, and I apologize. It is the, at the time, vice president of BioNTech, as you know, also heavily involved in is Yes, that's a Pfizer partner. As described as a pioneer of mRNA technology, Catalin Carrico. I, Excellent. I got nothing outside of that, so you can Google it. A lot of K's, no C's, if you're trying to spell that on your own. Catalin Carrico. And he's, he or she, I, I think it's a he, but that might just be my own misogyny, says, I would say that mRNA is better suited for diseases where treatment for short duration is sufficiently curative, so the toxicities caused by delivery materials are less likely to occur. Hmm. Again, I would say that mRNA should be used for diseases where it's a short duration to cure the ailment so that we can avoid the toxicities, and I shouldn't even say avoid, where they are less likely, not, not going to happen, not impossible, just less, less of them. We'll get less adverse reactions if you can only give this once or twice. Um, well, that's not good because we know it does trigger nasty side effects over time, so... Let's just, let's think for a minute. Why would a company that is on the verge of revolutionizing all of medicine in the biotech space and is going to cure the world of all of its significant diseases, cancer, heart disease, rare ailments that affect small numbers of people, and it's going to change everything about medicine, they're going to do hundreds of patents and treatments, suddenly switch to a notoriously unprofitable, highly competitive, and... um not all that 
dynamic, like very, very sort of looked down upon in the pharmaceutical spheres to be doing vaccines as of 2016. Why would they do that? Now, keep that in mind of the proper context where all these other big pharmaceutical companies that have been involved with mRNA got out because it kept triggering nasty side effects and they couldn't figure out how to make it go successfully. So, I mean, just suppose that you were in charge of this company and you said, hey, let's just get into vaccines because then we only have to give one or two, ideally, and that way we're not going to go kill a bunch of people or cause all these nasty adverse toxicities and side effects. Wouldn't that be maybe a good reason that you'd want to get into vaccines? I'm speculating. The best is Moderna, even as of 2016, was denying that it ran into any difficulties with the mRNA. Well, here's what you got to believe now, folks. They're the only pharmaceutical company that didn't run into those difficulties. And then Stéphane Boncel came out and said, we've got this new technology, these new nanoparticles based in lipids, and they're called some fancy names, and now that solved the problem. And so naturally some people went, well, can we see the data? And he said, check the patents. And they said, well, can we see, like, you know, the studies? And, of course, there were none, which led some to speculate that either... All right, so for this to be true and for the timing to work out that right in 2017 when he made this announcement, they had actually discovered the perfect answer to the problem that had plagued this technology for 30 years. And he found it right on that just as they needed it most, just before their initial public offering, they found it. And to quote one of the scientists interviewed, like it would be like the most, well, it's not a, to paraphrase, it would be a Hail Mary. It would be the most unlikely scenario at the ideal time that they just happen to stumble onto this exact thing. Kind of like when uh, Firmuth fumbled with one second left. Sort of like that, except less likely. Yes. Um, <clears throat> to the point that if that were if the guy, the scientist that was being questioned, and they all speak on condition of anonymity because this Stéphane Boncel has a well-earned reputation of going after and destroying people that they disagree with that he disagrees with or that he thought found to be disloyal. And listen, we'll link up these articles. You can read about how absurd this company actually was and just firing people left and right. And we'll get into Stéphane Boncel in just a moment. But here we sit. He's got this technology. He thinks it's going to change the world. They shift the vaccines. Somehow they're claiming, well, the shift of vaccines had nothing to do with adverse effects. We didn't get any. We've got this brand new technology. And the scientist that was being interviewed actually said, it's either they completed this most unlikely of Hail Marys or they just renamed what was already going on with its known limitations. 50-50. Could go either way. Now, just for proper context, who is Stéphane Boncel? Uh, he's originally from France, graduated with a degree in, uh, excuse me, a master's in chemical engineering uh, from the University of Minnesota, went over to Harvard, got his MBA from Harvard, went to work for Eli Lilly, worked there for about seven years until he was the head of the Belgium operation. And then in 2007, he was tapped to be the CEO of Biomerieu. I can't say this word and I apologize. I am not French. Biomerieu. Kind of like Lemieux, but bio, I think that's yeah, how I'm reading it because right I don't have a better way of doing bio it. Biomerieu. So by doing it that way, we'll go with Merieu. Biomeriu founded, co-founded, and co-owned by Alain Meriu. 
makes sense. His last name's yeah. in the title. Yeah. Uh, this gentleman, Elaine, was a past president of the Franco-Chinese Committee on Infectious Diseases. It's been described as being personally instrumental in the development of the P4 lab in the Wuhan province of China. Hmm. That's not weird. Yeah. That's not weird at all. Yeah, because I remember even when we were talking about the lab leak stuff that uh, there was a lot of uh, 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 working together between uh, France and China uh, when that they, they, they really wanted that. I think, what is it, uh, Sarkozy? Was he the president yeah, back in the Yeah, Sarkozy was the president at, at So, yeah, there was kind of this uh, little buddy-buddy relationship with, with France and, and China uh, surrounding this uh, study of virology. Yeah, at the same time, Biomare Yu engaged in a propaganda campaign. Hmm. To, obviously, some people were raising questions of, hey, is it smart to build an infectious disease lab in communist China where there's not very many oversights not many human rights and, you know, the occasional human rights violation. So Biomare Yu, being the good soldiers that they were, engaged in a propaganda campaign to sell the controversial infectious disease lab as a, quote, diplomatic victory for public health, end quote. Um, yeah, it was 2007 where they passed that. And just at that same time, Stéphane Boncel has been named as the CEO as all this is happening. So that's... Interesting. Cool. Yeah. It's not weird at all that that happened. Um, so there's that. You got a few ties to China. Doesn't have to mean anything at all. Doesn't have to be dismissed outright either. Uh, they did receive some very nice grants in the early days of Moderna when he left Biomeru in 2010 to become the CEO of Moderna Inc. Or I'm sorry, Moderna LLC at the time. Uh, they got some grants from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation who has done some questionable things. Let's just go with that. And at least they got some good money coming in from DARPA. Sean, what's DARPA? Uh, DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Project. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Defense Advanced Research Project Administration, if, okay. I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. They do all the... You know what Hydra is in our Avenger movies? It's kind of what DARPA is, basically. We're doing some weird stuff that you want to get funded. You go through DARPA. And yeah, I feel like it was created uh, in the 50s for, like, to be the... In in uh, in uh, response to Russia and Sputnik. Like, that was like, yeah. oh, hey, we got to get we got to get on the ball here with our uh, technology, and they kind of formed this... Uh, uh, government agency to do that so yeah darpa <clears throat> so i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a quote about stephane Boncel from Derek j rossi a canadian stem cell biologist entrepreneur and as a co-founding member of the biotechnological company moderna asked about steve stephane Boncel, he said quote he was asking me to steal from a hospital that treats children. Stephane is someone without a moral compass. End hmm. quote. It's not super weird. Weird. So, guys, if you're paying attention at home, now this is where it gets really interesting. Remember when that scientist in China, when COVID first happened, we, we, we started talking about coronavirus mm -hmm. and whatever else. And the one Chinese scientist, like, broke the rules and he released the data sequencing to the world. Is that the one that got killed? Yeah, he died. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, Moderna had a patent on its COVID vaccine on, like, January 
12th. That that came out January 11th. That dude released the code. Or January 9th. I think it was over the weekend. They had the entire code, and they had the vaccine done, and they were submitted it to the NIH for trials. Oh, and the NIH gets a royalty from the Moderna side, too. Let's not forget that mm. because they ran the trials. So I guess here's what I want to point out. Think about the leaps of faith you have to have to put all your faith in this company and or this technology. For 30 years, 30 years, we've been developing this technology, working on it. Now, is it possible that at that exact moment where this happened, all of the chips fell right into place, the stars aligned, and it was just this wonderful combination of foresight and luck that allowed Moderna to be in the right place at the right time? Of course it's possible. It is. The flip side is, why should we give them that benefit of the doubt? Company is run under the mantra of, this is Stéphane Bonsell's words, not mine, mRNA technology will work. The idea that we won't be able to make it work is not an option. And if you can't get on board with that, this isn't the right place for you. So you stand to make billions, maybe trillions of dollars if you get it to work. You've decided. Now, listen, as a salesman, that's the exact attitude you want. As a scientist, that's not ideal. Because usually what we like to do in science, and again, I am not a scientist, but I've I've read a few things. And my understanding, as limited as it may be, is that in science, you usually want to let the data indicate what you're going to do next. And if it's not working, I don't know, maybe change something instead of just saying, no, we will make this work one way or another. Maybe you want to make some adjustments. I don't know. It seems like scientific analysis to me. So 30 years we're working on this technology. We can't figure it out. And it's because we can't get a proper vehicle to implement it past the body's defense system that doesn't cause high levels of harm to the human body, particularly when it's given repeatedly over time over months or years. So repeat doses of mRNA is having a more negative effect than one-off. And let's just, let's just play this out in what my opinion is of what makes the most sense. Uh, Stephane Bancel does have some interactions with Chinese leadership, is very involved in the building of the P4 Wuhan lab, and therefore does have some connections still in the Chinese government and in the Wuhan lab. Now he's got this company, Moderna, and he he fully believes in it. He believes this technology is going to work, and his background is, it doesn't matter if somebody says it's impossible, you just keep going until you get it. Holds very high standards, fires multiple chief science officers, chief safety officers, chief financial officers, high turnover at the company because he has a very high goal and failure is not an option. It turns out the technology is not working and it keeps having safety data because if it was working, you'd have published something, my opinion. The fact that it's not working, you don't want people to know that because you're raising money left and right. You can't handle the bad press. It would cause all that to go down, and you don't want to go back and ask for investors at a lower valuation because that would basically be the death toll. Excuse me, not the death toll, the death knell. That would be that would be your downfall right there. So instead, you just keep saying, we're making it work, and they got one small study that was based on a model that showed it might work, and he said, see, this proves concept, and here we go. Now, he didn't put that up in like a scientific journal or anything. He just told the Wall Street Journal. Now they come out in 2014 and say, we're getting into vaccines. And some very smart people go, all right, well, that it must be because you haven't solved the problem of long-term dosages and you're getting too high of toxicities and too many adverse effects. So vaccines would make sense because it should be one and done. And they go, no, 
You can't prove that. Of course not, because you haven't released any of your data. But we're just supposed to believe you were the only company that's ever been able to figure this out? Okay, that's that's a lot of leeway to give you. And now we get into the vaccines. And, you know, oddly enough, I'll, the Wuhan P4 lab, which has been, let's just say, one of the earliest places to find it, even if you don't want to get into the idea that it possibly originated from the lab, let's just say they were the first one dealing with it, somehow his company ends up getting the patent on this vaccine the before it's even before China has even acknowledged that human to human transmission is possible before a single case has it happened outside of China we have a vaccine patented and being tested in America by this by this guy's company and keep in mind that means that over the last 2 years they miraculously found the correct lipid nanoparticles that would not cause adverse reactions as a delivery mechanism to give to the body and even then they said the early goal was vaccines because you only have to give one or two dosage you get your primer then you get your shot and then you should be good and we don't have to continually blast you with mrna what are we doing with boosters guys Because if the goal was, we think it's going to give you long-lasting immunity, and that was what everybody was saying early on. It wasn't a talk of boosters now and forever. It was a talk of, this is the vaccine is going to get us to herd immunity. Well, if we haven't solved the problem of toxicity brought about by long-term dosage of mRNA, how in the world could we possibly know what will happen with repeated boosters? I mean, they're talking about booster shots every 6 to 12 months forever. How would that be any different than what they got away from seven years ago because ostensibly, assumably, presumably, they were having that exact problem? Somebody help me understand. Like, If you've got a more rational explanation that makes more sense, I'm in. But if I'm going to go with Occam's razor and say, like, well, what's the thing that makes the most sense, logically speaking? What's the most likely outcome, the simplest explanation? They had a problem. They thought they had to work around the problem. It didn't work the way they wanted it to, and they can't get out now because they're too far in. Yeah, it, it it totally makes sense. And, you know, just reading through some of this stuff, I'm skimming through articles here, some of the stuff that you had sent me and clicking some of these links here. So I see that <clears throat> Moderna ended 2019 with a net loss of $514 million. So they were literally half a billion dollars in the red. In the red. In 2019, and thank their and now their lucky stars. Is one of the most wealthy individuals. Yeah, on he's planet. a billionaire, right? He's a bit literally a billionaire. He owns nine percent of the company. Well, he did until he started selling some of his stock recently. Yeah, and then he's donating be. some to a charitable trust to offset taxes. Yeah, of course he is. And so, and I'm reading this here too. So I see on March 20th, Bansell told Goldman Sachs. That the vaccine is 12 to 18 months away, but it could be made available in the fall of 2020 under emergency use. So I'm guessing some of that is his knowledge of how much red tape it takes to get a, the vaccine across and how much trials it takes and all that, all the, all the safety protocols that need to get to that point that he was going to have, he was going to be able to, uh, I almost forgot my favorite part. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. The number two guy at Moderna left Moderna in 2020. Guess where he went? Um, to join Donald Trump's task force on setting up Operation Warp Speed to advise the federal government on which companies to contract with for the development of a COVID vaccine. Yeah, I see that they got, uh, just on that note, that they got something like $400 million from Operation Warp Speed. Weird. And again, 
Maybe it's all a coincidence because if we've learned anything, it's that the vaccine is the leading cause of coincidence in the world right now. Here's Man the other problem. Slaoui? Yeah, I can't say his name. I gave up. Here's the other problem. The other problem is we don't have good data on this because the study that Moderna tested, they broke the control group. They gave the control group the vaccine. So the simple reality is we have no long-term data. We are not going to get long-term data anytime in the foreseeable future. If this is correct, if my reading of this is right, and this logically follows that the more vaccine you give people, the more adverse reactions you're going to get because the it's not the mRNA that's the problem. It's the lipid nanoparticles that house the mRNA that are going into the body that your body is having adverse reactions to. And the more you put in your body, the higher toxicity, the more adverse effects you're going to get. We have no way of knowing that because they broke the control group. We're not going to have any idea what's going to happen with this. And then on the booster trials, they're breaking it again and they're giving everybody the booster. Like, this is not how science is supposed to work, and this is the exact reason why. There's a reason vaccines take 10 years. It's because we want to know long-term data on them before we give them to people. And in this case, instead, we're giving it to kids. Kids who are at zero risk of COVID whatsoever, statistically speaking. If your child doesn't have significant, significant serious health issues, COVID is of zero threat to your child. And yet, somehow, our government has determined there is an emergency sufficient to justify letting people give this to their children without long-term or even short-term safety data for children, quite honestly. Like, I can't wrap my brain around this. I'm having a very hard time with it. I'm trying to understand how we got here. And then when you look back into the background of the company, nothing about that makes you feel any better. Like, the guy tried to steal from a children's hospital, but I'm supposed to believe he has their best interest in mind now? Anthony Fauci's out here literally torturing beagles for no reason other than to find out what the effects of fear are. And this guy I want to have is my moral compass. Or how about the experiments they were conducting on orphans in New York City? Like, what in the hell would you have to see to be at least a little bit skeptical? And this is my fear. Listen, I'm not a scientist. Please don't listen to anything I'm saying other than go read, go look into it, go ask more questions. And somebody ask smart people these questions, please. I'm trying and I'm trying to get answers. But from what I can gather with my limited understanding, if you've got 30 years of a problem that nobody's been able to solve and then you miraculously solve it the year before the most loss-leading, non-profitable side of medicine becomes worth $250 billion in a single year of revenue, something is amiss. Timing never works out that good, especially not when you're dealing with sociopaths. It's never actually genuinely that lucky. It's a fucking crazy world, man. Everything, like I said, this is this is what happens when you have an unchecked government because they allow these things to happen with their backing, right? Our government is basically supporting this company. We're getting a royalty from <clears throat> the sale of the Moderna vaccine. Like, this is not rocket science to piece. This is my only thing. I could be wrong about all of this. Maybe it really is just on the up and up. But if you're ever going to look at me incredulously and be like... I mean, what could you possibly think? Like, why would you ever be that skeptical of like, well, these are the facts. I'm drawing conclusions based on the facts, and I could be wrong in those conclusions. But the facts are the facts. You are not entitled to your own facts. This is what has happened. If you want to place this much faith in a pharmaceutical company run by a sociopath, God bless you. But for those of us that are skeptical, maybe it's not because we're crazy. Maybe it's because, I don't know, we've seen this before with Oxycontin. We've seen this before with asbestos and foot powder, baby powder. Like, 
Maybe it's because there's a track record in this industry of doing this. Maybe it's because there's a track record of our government of not only being completely incompetent, but actively helping cover up these atrocities that take place so they don't look bad. And maybe because ultimately we're run by humans, flawed, imperfect, self-dealing, self-centered human beings, none of whom are altruistic. None. So you tell me, is it impossible? Did the FDA ever issue a special label before for a certain drug? I don't know, like Oxycontin saying it appears that it might be less addictive. Yeah, they did. You know what they based that on? Neither do they because they never saw the study. But Purdue Pharma said, we have studies that show that it's less prone to addiction. And the FDA went, can we see it? And they said, no. And they said, okay. And then sure enough, you know what happened to the guy, Stephen Wright, who issued that special label that led to one of the biggest killings of any pharmaceutical drug ever like the amount of people that died because of oxycontin guess what happened to that guy promoted he became the chief science officer at purdue well of course this place is nuts yeah well i've said this for i don't know a little over a year and a half and uh after your little uh uh monologue there and referencing harvard a couple times i'm just blaming jeffrey epstein so (laughs) i think it's fair I'm on board. It's the only thing that makes sense is if he's involved. Then it's all explained away, right? You're like, ah, well, shit. Epstein was involved. No shit. That's how it went down. Let's go back to our conversation on the media. I'm not a member of the media. I have full-time jobs, businesses to run other than doing this. I didn't spend, like, countless hours on this, guys. This was about an hour and a half worth of research spread out over the last two or three weeks, maybe two hours. It's almost like we have people whose entire job is supposed to be looking into this and connecting these dots and then having the resources to go and interview people and talk about it. None. Nobody thinks this might be an avenue worth looking into of like, hey, what are these technologies and how did they develop them at exactly the right time? How did Moderna know that vaccines were going to turn into this huge profitability wing? Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, I can't even argue with it anymore. I know. Listen, it's, eventually I'm going to be right. I just, it's in there. It's in there someplace. The Harvard connections, it's got to be something. There's literally no doubt in my mind that Jeffrey Epstein has uttered the word mRNA vaccine in my life. So, I mean, well. Harvard professor Timothy Springer did make $400 million at the IPO for Moderna. Yeah. No, they, I mean... $5 million investment into a $400 million profit for a company that didn't have a single drug for sale and had nothing. And it was half a billion in the red. Yeah. I mean, it was right. the largest bar, um, bio pharmaceutical IPO in history. And again, it's not uncommon that these companies don't have a product for sale. That's normal. What was normal is, or what's, excuse me, what was abnormal was there was nothing even that had passed testing. They, they didn't have a phase one data set. To show people and say, see how good we are. This is why it's so... It was just selling the dream yeah, of... It's just a marketing thing. Look, if I could show you a way that would turn dirt into drinkable water, you'd be like, oh my God, the, the possibilities are endless. I still got to invent it. It still has to... And if it turns out, well, we've had some problems with the water poisoning some people, but we still think it could work. You'd rightly ask a question. Like, hey, did you, uh, did you solve that whole poisoning and toxicity problem yet? Like, we're close. We're really close. Give me more money. Yeah, the money will do it. All right, folks. Anything else? Mm-mm. 
Anything else off the topic that you'd like to leave the folks with before we leave them for another week? Yeah, if I missed anything on this, let me know. Like, send it yeah, over. If up. you've got an angle I didn't catch, please send it. Because, again, this is like, this is sad to say, this is like a hobby. This is something I do in passing. We're going to have to get you one of those Glenn Beck chalkboards. Oh, I don't think I can do all that. We need a bigger space. We would need a much bigger space. And listen, I'm, I got my little notebook here that allows me to follow through on all this. It's just, look, I just want to understand what is happening. And I will share with you, that doesn't mean I'm right. I could very well be wrong about this, but the facts are there. Like, the layout is what it is. My conclusions might be entirely wrong. I, I'm going to play the odds. And say, look, and here's the flip side of this. This is the disclosure I want to give to everybody. Look, I have no idea what will happen if you keep taking booster shots. I don't know what will happen if you don't. You might end up being more susceptible to COVID and having way worse reactions if you don't now go get booster shots if you already got the vaccine. I have no idea. So please don't take any of this for medical advice. It's not. It's me trying to piece together how in the world did we get here and why are people turning a blind eye to what are very clear problems with the scientific process that has been undertaken in this instance why are we okay with the only safety and efficacy trial that has been done on these vaccines being completely thrown out because you gave the control group the vaccine we shouldn't be okay with that convenient it's just like there's so many there's so many coincidences that you're looking at and going well why okay if one of them happened you'd be like wow that was lucky there's like 15 I can't get there. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope to God I'm wrong. I've never wanted to be wrong so badly in my entire life as I have about this. But I'm just not seeing it. I'm still concerned and I'm still confused why we're why we're still at this point and why is nobody looking into this? Yeah. Well, we just did. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going viral. Yeah, I, I did a brilliant job too. Like I yeah. interviewed nobody. I wouldn't even pay for like the the service of stat. I just read the free articles. That's how cheap I am. There's enough there. All right. <clears throat> well, on that note, I'll keep looking into it. We will follow up on anything. If you guys want to send us some information on uh, Moderna, something that Ben may have overlooked or missed that can uh, add to the story, that would be fun. I'm sure we'll follow up on uh, Kyle Rittenhouse mm-hmm. and Project Veritas next week. We'll see where they uh, they stand. Until then. I'll remind you all to uh, do your uh, fandom part and uh, like and share this video. Be a subscriber. Hit that notification bell so you can get notified when we get new content. And uh, if you're listening on that audio podcast, be sure to leave a five-star uh, review. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know. We'll see them all. We'll leave everybody here till another uh, another week. We'll see you next Monday. Can't wait. All right. On that note, thank you again, and we'll see you uh, next Monday.